Here is another powerful message from New Vision Baptist Church in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. To hear the rest of this series and others, join us at newvisionlife.com. It has been a great week here this week at New Vision, just a Tuesday night with uh, over 400 students worshiping at MTSU through the point. Pretty excited uh, about what God's doing there. Obviously, yeah, you can clap for that. Super cool. It's pretty neat to see that many young people at a, just as a state, at a state school worshiping Jesus. That's something to get pretty excited about. Wednesday night had a neat night here, folks doing small groups, Thursday night worship, and then Unite this weekend. Uh, Amy and I came over for a little bit. It was like this space right down here was, uh, it was dangerous. I'll be honest with you. I was a little freaked out by the whole experience. But it was, it was great and just hearing what God did. It was a really, really good weekend. And as Nick said, we're closing out our Never Enough series. And really what we've, uh, what we've said in this Never Enough series is we have more of everything today in the culture that we live in except really one thing, and that's contentment. We have so much more of just about everything else, yet we're not more satisfied in our life. And we've said in this series that what does it really mean to be content? Well, it means, it means this, to be satisfied with where your feet are right now. Instead of wishing our life away, that, you know what, life would be better if we had this relationship, life would be better if we lived in this part of town or had this job, on and on and on, that wouldn't it be great that we said, you know what, I'm just content with where my feet are right now. And so how could we get there? Well, first of all, we have to realize that it is our feet that chase all these different things looking for enough. We we chase possessions, and we think, and there's nothing wrong with possessions, but there's just never enough of them. That's the problem. And we, we chase praise, and it's not like there's anything necessarily wrong with praise, but there's just never enough of it. And then... Uh, Not only that, we're going to see, uh, uh, we saw last week in Nick's preaching that we chase pleasure, and God created us for pleasure, certainly in worship with Him, but there's just never enough of just worldly pleasure that we give our lives to. And then today, we're going to close with this topic that we're going to see in Scripture. It's this idea of power or control. And as we've studied through First and Second Samuel, if you've never studied through First and Second Samuel, I promise you there's not anything on Netflix today that has more intrigue, more drama, more plot twist, murder, uh, sexual immorality, just crazy, crazy stuff like First and Second Samuel. But if we'll stop for a moment, we can really see ourselves in that. And we've looked at some of these characters, and all of these characters from Hophni and Phinehas to Saul to, to David and now to David's son Absalom today, all of them have one thing in common. They were a people that uh, gave themselves to really unhealthy power and tried to control others or take advantage of others through, through power. And we're going, to, we're going to see that. We're going to see that today. And, and, and to be honest with you, I'm a person that can misuse control or power. The older I get, the more I realize this. I can be kind of a control freak in, in, in my life. And I, I've thought about this. I don't have to look very long for illustrations about how I have control issues. Uh, on Thursday night, we were back praying before the Thursday night service with our, our same group of guys that pray every single week. And I realize that people laugh at me kind of behind my back, and that's okay. I, I get that. But uh, we'll take some prayer requests, and then I'll just, there'll be guys in a circle, and I'll tell them what order we're going to go in. And whoever's sitting beside me, they, they said, we've been here. We got it. Just pray. But I need to know who's going to start and who's going to stop because I kind of have to be in, cro- in control of that. You, you like that? Like, you know, I, I was with the, my grandson on Friday, and I'm, I'm, he's, he's, you know, he's two, and I'm, I'm out in the backyard, and I'm, I'm 
pitching him the ball. He's got a beach ball and a bat, and I'm trying to get him to swing left-handed. I want him to hit left-handed, and it's like, I thought, you know, did, Amy's like, does he want to hit left-handed? Yeah, he told me he does. He, he, he does. So I'm trying to, I'm, I, I try to control so many things in my life. And, you know, it, it's not that control is all bad. I mean, you don't want to leave here today and say, you know, Pastor Brady said, you know, we just don't need to be in control of anything. So I'm just going to kind of just autopilot driving home. I'm just going to hit the gas and wherever we go, you know, that, that's, that's no good. Need to be in control of that vehicle. And self-control is a fruit of the Spirit. But this unhealthy control and using people for, for power is something that can have devastating effects. And so as we think about control... We, we can have just like control issues as it relates to our spouse, that, that we, we want our spouse to be a certain way, so we try to control their life and really squeeze them to make them who we want them uh, to be. Or if we're in some sort of, we're in a relationship, a dating relationship, we can cr- try to control the other person. We can try to control our children so that they can really live out our goals and our dreams that we have for them, maybe even over and above God's. We try to control our careers. We try to control our image. We want everybody to see us in a certain way, and we only put out there what we want them to see. Why is that? Because we want to be in control even of our image, and on and on it goes. And so here's what I want to say today, just for the next few minutes, and all of you from Unite, I understand you're, you're tired. I, I get that. Where are the Unite folks? This, you, you, there you are. You're, all, you're scattered all over this place. So Okay, so this is the one Sunday a year if you fall asleep, we'll, you, you know, we'll, we'll cut you some slack. But you, you, you want to see this. In, in all areas of our life, we really try to con- control things, but we're, we're going to see in Scripture a devastating story today that has um, far-reaching effects for all of us. You see, David is king in Israel, and we pick up in, in 2 Samuel chapter 15, but David is going to see something that he never dreamed possible happen. His third son, Absalom, who is the son that really had David's affection, he loved him so much because Absalom had, he had the look of the leader. Absalom had that it factor. You ever meet anybody and they say, what does that person have? What does he or she have? Well, they say, well, they just have the it factor. Absalom had the it factor. But, but Absalom is going to come down and break his dad's heart. He is going to use control. Absalom's going to use unhealthy control. And he is going to run his dad out of Jerusalem and take over the kingdom. Nightmare. And so let, let's jump in and take a look in 2 Samuel chapter 15. Let's begin. It says, in the course of time, there's a comma, and you're like, okay, he's going to start talking now, and we'll be here till June. But I want to, in the course of time, you need to understand setting. Uh, the story that we're about to read takes place 11 years after what Nick preached on last week. And what Nick preached on last week was the rape of Amnon and Tamar. If you remember, Amnon and Tamar, Amnon rapes his half-sister Tamar. And this is just a a terrible thing. And so Absalom, who is the the third son of David, Tamar is his his sister. And so he is just angry is not even the word for how he feels. He waits for two years for his dad to do something, and David doesn't do anything. And then... Absalom takes matters into his own hands. He controls the situation, and he has Amnon murdered. And then he flees after the murder, and he spends three years at his grandfather's house in hiding. But he desperately wants to be forgiven by his dad and come back and reestablish this relationship with his dad, and king, king, who is King David. But David doesn't want that. And finally, after three years, David allows Absalom to come back into Jerusalem, but he keeps him under house arrest. He doesn't allow him to, to come back in and be, be forgiven. So two years pass under house arrest, and then finally, Absalom is allowed to see his dad after two years. And then even when he sees his dad, it, it, 
David doesn't forgive him and reinstate him. It's still kind of a weird thing. David kisses him on the head and lets him go, and we're not even sure that anything is really said. And then for the next four years, Absalom, through manipulation, control, he plots a coup, a takeover of the kingdom. And that's where we see this story. In the course of time, Absalom provided himself with a chariot. This is in that four-year period, with a chariot and horses and 50 men to run ahead of him. Because if you're going to be a king, you got to look like a king, right? you got to have a chariot and you got to have some boys running ahead of you. So Absalom is controlling his look because he knows what he wants. He wants to be the king. Verse 2, he would get up early and stand by the side of the road leading into the city gate. Whenever anyone uh, came with a complaint to be placed before the king for a decision, Absalom would call out to him, what town are you you from? And he would answer, your servant uh, is from one of the tribes of Israel. So, I mean, he can't be from everywhere, but he tries to connect. Oh, yeah, 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 that's where I'm from too. I know your people and I I got you. You you got a good case. I'll take, take care of you. Then, then Absalom would say, look at verse 3. He'd say, look, your claims are valid and proper. In other words, I understand. I can see how someone extorted you. I can see how that was a crime against you. And so I think you've got a good and proper case, a winning case. But then listen to what Ab- Absalom would say. There is no one here. There's not a representative of the king to hear you. In other words, the king is just MIA. And if you had a real king, a good king, then he'd be here and he'd listen to you and he'd, he'd help you. See, one of the things that you'll see, if you're a controlling person, you, you usually leverage mistakes in other person. You're always very critical of other people to try to make yourself look good or try to profit. And that's what, that's what Absalom is doing. He's running his dad down to try to make himself look better. Verse 4, and Absalom would add, this is, you know, pretty right out there. Absalom would add, if only I were appointed the judge of the land. You know what this land needs? A little more of me. That's what Absalom says. Then everyone who had a complaint or case would come to me, and I would see that they received justice. Like if I was king, if I was in charge, I would meet every single need. I mean, he's like a great politician, right? I mean, I could do this. Everyone would be heard, and everyone, every situation would be handled. Verse 5, also whenever anyone approached him, anyone approached Absalom uh, to bow down to him. Now, you see, over four years, people are starting to bow down to him because they're starting to relate to him as king. His plan is working. He's winning people over over. Anytime they would bow down before him, Absalom would reach out his hand, take hold of them, and he'd kiss them. Not because he loved them, but because he was using them. He loved what he wanted. He wanted power, and he was manipulating people to get that, and we will do that if we have control issues. Verse 6, Absalom behaved this way, behaved in this way toward all the Israelites who came to the king asking for justice. And listen to this line. And so he stole the hearts of the people of Israel. His plan worked. He stole the hearts of the people of Israel through using power and control. He puts himself in a position of being their king. Now, if you look on down at verse 13, we skip down a few verses. Absalom has now, his plan is in place and the people are responding to him as king. And watch this sad, sad response as as King David hears the news. A messenger came and told David, in Jerusalem, David was the king. The hearts of the people of Israel are with Absalom. Your son has stolen your kingdom away from you. Can you imagine that? I mean, it wasn't an enemy that came. It wasn't an outsider that came and took the kingdom away from David. It was an insider. It was his son. This is devastating stuff. Then David said to all the officials who were with him in Jerusalem, 
come, we must flee or none of us will escape from Absalom. Right, we got to get out of here. So here's King David, mighty King David, and he is fleeing Jerusalem as his son is coming in for fear that he's going to kill him and kill everybody there. It's powerful. Now, I want us to talk just for a few minutes about the strong grip of control today. Just a few minutes. Because this has devastating effects in this story, but it will have devastating effects in your life if we don't really begin to understand what's driving it, what's behind it. Now, here's the first thing I want us to see in this story. And this was super helpful for me. i got to tell you, this, this really began to change my marriage in so many ways. And I wish I would have learned this years and years ago. And my hope and my prayer is through the teaching of God's Word today that, that you would really come alive to this truth. And some of you are already there. But personal passivity, look at personal passivity is a breeding ground for the grip of control. Like, let me say this to you. Like, if you're here and you're saying, you know what, Pastor Brady's talking about control, and man, I wish she was here today because she needs to hear this. She is a control freak. She controls everything. She tries to control everybody's life in our family, or he tries to control everything. I wish they could hear that. And, and you're saying about yourself, you know what, I don't really deal with this because I'm kind of a laid-back person. I don't deal with control issues. This is for you First. Now, what do you mean by that? Well, let's go back and think about the story. Now, please listen to what I'm about to say because this could be confusing and you could be angry. And this is where Monday I get emails from folks because you don't listen to the full statement that I'm making here. Absalom's control issues. And let me ask, did Absalom have control issues? I mean, you have your brother murdered. That's kind of unhealthy, right? When you form alliances and run your dad out of town as king and you take over as king, would you say, here's a guy who has some control issues. Are you with me? You agree with that? Absalom has some control issues. Absalom's control issues were, in part, a reaction to his father's passivity issues. I'm not saying that is the whole problem, right? Understand it was Absalom's sin issues. I get that. Save the email. I'm just saying that Absalom's passivity, or excuse me, Absalom's control issues were, in part, really fueled by his father's passivity. And you might say, well, what do you mean by David's passivity? Like King David, I don't see him as being passive. Well, let's, let's think about this just a little bit. And I, I would say, in my life, my passivity has fueled others' control issues in my life. I promise you. Now, here we go. David, let's think about him just a little bit. I think David was a passive parent. I think David was a passive parent. And what, what, what do I mean by that? I think David was very active on the battlefield, but he was very passive at home. And now let me just say this. What, what was the first sin in Scripture? People say, well, the first sin in Scripture is when Eve ate the forbidden fruit. That's not true. You know what the first sin in Scripture was? It was Adam being passive right there as Satan is tempting his wife. And he did nothing. It was Adam's passivity, really, that was the first sin. And so, guys, let me say this to men. This is, this is an issue that we will all struggle with from, from the time of Adam on. We struggle with being active in certain areas of our life but being passive. I have been active in my career and passive in my marriage. I've been active in my career and passive in parenting. I've been active in my hobbies and passive in other areas of my life. And so that was David, active on the battlefield, passive at home. Now, as we, as we move on, David, is he's passive when it comes to disciplining Amnon. Does that make sense? I mean, when your son... Rapes his stepsister, that's a problem, right? I mean, that's cause for a dad to step in and do something. He doesn't do anything. He waits for two years. And in fact, Absalom waits for two years, and his dad doesn't do anything. He takes matters into his own hands, and then he has his brother killed. Now, one of the reasons why, let me say this. Let me say this. One of the reasons why we're passive as parents in certain ways is because we let our past failures 
really paralyze us as parents. You know, David's past failure, David had committed uh, sexual immorality with Bathsheba. And then he went on to have her husband Uriah killed. And so in David's mind, here's what I believe. You may disagree. That's okay. In David's mind, how can I speak to Amnon about this mistake in his life? Because I made the same mistake. And the enemy loves to twist us around. Listen, let me just tell you something. I don't want my boys to be like me. I don't want my boys to be the standard. I, I, I can't just parent them on everything that I've done, I've done right because there's not that much there. I want them to be like Jesus. You see that? Jesus is the standard, not me. So if we say, you know what, I can't talk to them about an area that I haven't been successful in. That's what David is saying. I can't say anything to Amnon because I failed in this area. He forgot that it was God's standard that he needed to place before them. That's an important thing. I think probably everybody in this room, regardless of whether you're a basketball fan or not, can remember exactly where you were last Sunday when you heard about the death of Kobe Bryant and his daughter, Gianna. I know where I was. Kobe was a generational athlete. He's one of the greatest basketball players to ever play the game. And so whether you're a basketball fan or not, I mean, he's one of those one-word name guys, Kobe, right? You don't need to even say the last name. Amazing player. In 2004, some of you know that just a horrendous moral, moral failure in Kobe's life almost derailed everything for him, almost losing his, uh, perhaps his career, his, his marriage. But it was at that point in his, his life that really folks who knew him best said a real about-face took place. And Amy and I watched a documentary just this past weekend, and he was talking about even that time of being so successful on the court, but then such a failure at home. And it was after that he resolved not to lose his marriage, to hang in there and fight for his marriage on the other side of that mistake. And the folks who knew him best said this, he was an amazing dad. He was a great dad. And he determined that he wasn't going to be just active in one area of his life and passive in another. And he wasn't. And so I think this is in play for all of us. You see, the mistake of David was active in one area and passive in another. Here's another big mistake in David that we haven't talked about all weekend long. But one of the things that frustrated David's children has to be his disobedience to the Lord as he continued to take more and more, more wives. His immorality, his children really lost respect for him. And then here's another area of passivity in David's life. David doesn't console Tamar. After she is raped by her stepbrother, I mean, that is a defining moment in the life of this young girl. Can you imagine if you were physically abused and raped by your stepbrother? And watch what Absalom says to her after this event, 2 Samuel chapter 13, verse 20. Her brother Absalom said to her, has that Amnon, your brother, been with you? Be quiet now, my sister. It's terrible advice, isn't it? What's he saying? You know what? Be quiet about what happened. Listen, anything that happens to us, any sin area in our life, that, and this wasn't a sin in Tamar's life. It was, it was a sin against her. But any devastating pain that we have in our life that we keep quiet and it doesn't come to the light of truth will wreak havoc in our life. Right? And then listen, listen as Absalom goes on. He says, don't take this thing to heart. That is ludicrous. Like, 
Don't take that personally. How can you not? He's, he's really diminishing what happened to her. Now you're saying, well, I thought you were talking about David's passivity. Watch this. And Tamar lived in her brother Absalom's house, a desolate woman. All of her life, this situation, her rape, defined her for the rest of her days. And as far as we know, David never stepped into that and spoke truth into Tamar's, Tamar's life about this difficult situation in her life. He was passive when his family needed him the most. He's MIA, right? And then next. David checks out on some family obligations. Now, I know you guys are all reading First and Second Samuel. We gave you the reading plan. You're answering the questions. Everybody doing that? Okay, six of you. But one of the things that you'll find out is, is prior, prior to Amnon's murder, Absalom comes to his father and says, hey, I'm throwing a festival. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to shear my sheep. And, and as a way to celebrate, I want the entire family to come to my place. I'm cooking out and we're going to have a big family gathering. And dad, I want you, I wanted to invite you first to come. And David says, I don't have time. He doesn't come. And it is at that family gathering that Absalom has Amnon killed. Now listen, 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 so you don't send me an email. I'm not saying that if David would have showed up that sooner or later Absalom wouldn't have killed Amnon. That's not my point. What I am saying is I really doubt it would have been at that event. You see? But David checks out on family obligations. He's passive. And then David ultimately fails to forgive Absalom. I mean, David, who sinned by committing adultery against Bathsheba and then had her husband killed, God forgives him of that. But then David is not willing to extend forgiveness to his son, Absalom. And that forgiveness, or excuse me, that lack of forgiveness in Absalom's life breeds this bitterness that we see lived out. So what's the point? That our passivity in any area of our life can be fueling another person's control issues. And so we need to see that. We need to see the devastating effects of that. Let's look at the second thing, because I want to move through this kind of quickly. This is super important. Number two, we will always struggle with control until we are satisfied with being a son or daughter of the king. Somebody said to me, I think Thursday night, they said, you know what, it seems like, Pastor Brady, every time you preach, you come back to some sort of point about our identity in Christ. Why is that? Because it's true. I can tell you that every single problem you have in your life and every single problem that I have in my life ultimately has its roots in not knowing who I am. You see, and, and Absalom didn't know who he was. Absalom was the son of who? David. He was the son of David. You know what that meant in that day? That meant limitless opportunities. Power, he had it all. Finances, he had it all. Everything he already had, but that wasn't enough. Now, let me just tell you something. You think, well, how does that relate to me? It relates to you in major ways. And I'm not assuming everybody here, please listen to what I'm about to say. I'm not assuming that everybody here is, is a follower of Jesus Christ. But if you are... Let me tell you who you are. You are a son or a daughter of the king. And listen, if that's not enough, nothing else ever will be. And you might say, that's pretty simplistic. Maybe. It's true. The rest of your life, I want, I want to live the rest of my life un unpacking who I am as a son of the king. Does that make sense? That's what Absalom forgot. Absalom forgot that he was a son of the king. And so it had just catastrophic consequences in his life. His control issues, you have in your notes, were a result of never understanding that he was the son of the king. Now, if, if, if you don't understand that, then consequently, you will choose the grip of control in your life. And when you choose the grip of control, here's why you do that. A couple things, just really quickly. God's love for you is not enough. You don't, you don't know that who you are as a son or daughter of a king, then God's love for you is not enough. So you will choose lesser loves to give yourself to, and they won't be enough, I promise you. 
But if you just investigate and dig into how much God has loved you, listen, that will begin to be the defining thing in your life, and it will fuel everything else. Uh, Secondly, here's what you need to know, that God's acceptance of you is enough. As a son or daughter of a king, God's acceptance of you is enough. If you don't know that, you will live your life for the false praise of people all your days, and it will never be enough. I can tell you there's so many people that are exhausted today trying to find the false praise of people, and it's never enough. Why? Because they don't know they're accepted by their father. And if you're in Christ, you're accepted because the righteousness of his son that was given on your behalf. Listen, if you don't know you're a son or daughter of the king, You don't know what you're worth, and God's worth is not enough for you. So you live your life, listen, listen, you live your life trying to accomplish enough things, perform, do enough things that people will see you and people will notice you, and it's exhausting. And you say, is this true? Let me just tell you something. There is not a week that's gone by, really in probably almost 30 years of ministry, that I haven't sat with a dude that is still trying to win his father's approval with his career or with his accomplishments and saying, hey, look at me. Look at me. Look at what I've done. I mean, it it is so, so pervasive. We were just back in my, my, Amy came in just a few moments ago for the third service. It was kind of a transition. She brought my grandson in and my granddaughter's leaving. My granddaughter's six months and she is just learning to sit up. She was sitting up in my office. It was a big day. We were celebrating that. Like, man, it's awesome. I don't know if your granddaughter could sit up at six months. Mine's awesome at it. It's killing it. And she's sitting up, so we're like, oh, it's so good. Charlotte, you're sitting up. That's so all we're praising her for sitting up. And my two-year-old grandson is just flying around the room doing every trick that he knows how to do, like just going crazy. What's he saying? Look at me. Look what I can do. Now, that's kind of funny when a two-year-old does that, right? Kind of funny. But when a 50-year-old does that, when a 17-year-old is still doing that, what are they saying? I don't know what I'm worth. I don't really believe what God says about it. Can I tell you what you're worth? Because somebody came up to me and said, said this, you know what, Pastor Ray, you're talking about my worth, but I don't feel worthy. I understand that. But, but your life, you don't live your life based on how you feel in any given moment. You live your life based on the truth of what God has said about you. Because listen, I don't let my feelings drive who I am. Does that make sense? If I did that, I'm going to run it into a ditch every day. Well, you might say, well, well how do I know how much I'm worth? Here's, very, here's a very simple statement you already know. I just want to remind you. Here's how much you're worth. You're worth the creator of the universe sending his very own son to die in your place. That's how much you are worth, right? That's your worth. And you say, what's the point? Well, if that's not enough, nothing else ever will be, right? And so you have to understand that. I'm a son or daughter. This was Absalom's problem. Absalom didn't realize he was a son of the king, and it is our problem today. Last thing before I get to the last, this is not the last thing in the message. Hold on. You're like a control freak. You're like, watch it. God's protection is not enough. So we try to protect. We just build our defenses. You see, Absalom didn't know his father's protection, so Absalom starts building an army. He starts building an army. Because his father's protection isn't enough. But we start to do that. We start to kind of raise our defenses all around us. Right? And we start to try to protect all these things in our life, protect our image, like control relationship, and try to keep somebody from leaving us, try to control or protect our kids. We're overly protective, on and on and on. We're, we've got all these walls that we are protecting, protecting, protecting. Why? Because we don't know our Father's protection. Let me give you a verse real quick. It's a good one. Man, this will help you. This will help you. I struggle with this. Romans eight thirty eight. What does it say? For I am convinced, Paul says, that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, 
neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Is that a good news? If I know my Father's protection, and what does that verse say? Nothing can separate me ultimately from my Father. Death doesn't have the the ability to separate me from my Father. If I know that, then I can kind of let my defenses begin to fall. It has ripple effects in every relationship. Let's look at the third and final thing, and then we'll be done. Just recap where we've been. You see, we have to realize that our passivity is is fueling control in other people's lives. We need to understand that if we aren't satisfied with being a son or daughter of the king, there's not anything that will be enough. And then last thing, do you have just a couple minutes? Can I get a nod? Do you have a couple minutes? This is so important, so important. You will struggle with control issues for the rest of your life until you find out what your release point is. Now, I'm a baseball guy. I, I love baseball. I've loved baseball all my life. I, some of my earliest memories of being a five-year, six-year-old little boy just standing out, I can still see it at my, my parents' house, a little wall, the side of our house, just throwing a ball into the wall and catching it, throwing a ball into the wall. For hours I did that. I can remember being an eight-year-old little boy and just devastated because my game got rained out. It's always, I, 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 love, I love the game. I love everything about the game except one thing. Here's what I hate about baseball. I hate it worse than anything else. I go to games. I love to go to games. I'll go to games whether it's an eight-year-old team playing or a major league game. There'll be a pitcher out on the mound. He's pitching, and he starts to lose control. Do you understand the illustration, what it means to lose? You don't have to be a baseball person, but if you'll just not, I'll go faster. They're not able to throw strikes. So they're losing control. And it will, I just say, here it comes. Wait for it, wait for it, wait for it. There will, it's usually a dad first, and he'll say this. Hey, buddy, throw strikes. Oh, that's super helpful, Dad, because I didn't know that. Like, had I known that, I would have, of course he knows. He's trying to do that. That's such a stupid thing to say. Don't ever say that if your kid is pitching, right? If I come to a game and I hear you say that, it's going to be a problem. It's dumb. But it happens all the time. And then other people catch on. Yeah, throw strikes, buddy. You got eight people yelling that, and the kid's sitting out there on the mound shaking and he's trying to throw a baseball past a big dude with a stick in his hand into something about the size of a thimble, and he's nervous. And he'll walk one batter, then he'll walk the second batter, and it always happens. The coach will walk out, and he'll walk out, and he'll put his hand on that kid's shoulder, and he'll say something like this. He'll say, settle down, buddy. It's okay. And sometimes he'll say, don't listen to your dad. (laughs) Listen to me. Find your release point. Because here it is. That guy, whether he's 8 or whether he's 38, before the game, he's gone down into the bullpen and he's warmed up. People say, well, he's warming up. He's not really warming up. If you're a girl's softball pitcher, they're not really warming up. They're already loose when they go to the bullpen. What they're trying to do is find their release point, where they let that ball go at. Because where they let that ball go at, if they let it go too high, no control. If they hang on to it too long, no control. They've got to find that release point. When they find that release point, they're good. But you know what needs to happen for you in your life? Listen as we close. Listen. You've got to find your release point. If you don't find your release point, you won't have any control. You'll struggle with control all your life. You'll control everybody around you. 2 Samuel chapter 15, look down at verse 25 as we close. This is my favorite part of this passage. 
It's a hard passage. David is being run out of town by his son Absalom. And so as David is leaving, he marches down through the Kidron Valley out up over the Mount of Olives. And why is that important? It's there that he gets his last look back at Jerusalem where he was king, the city where he was king. And before he crosses over the Mount of Olives to go, he stops and he worships. He has the priest offer sacrifices. And listen to what he says. This is amazing. David makes so many mistakes, but he gets this one right. And embedded in this, you're going to find your release point. Watch it. Verse 25. Then the king said to Zadok, then David said to Zadok, who was his priest, take the ark of God back into the city. Now that may not mean a lot to you right now, but let me tell you what it, what it, what it meant to David. The ark of the covenant, that represented the presence and the power of the living God. And David is saying, I'm not going to manipulate God any longer. The presence and the power of God belongs in the city of God, in Jerusalem, and take that back there. I'm, not, I'm done with manipulation. I'm done trying to control. And then listen to what he says. If I find favor, if I find favor in the Lord's eyes, he will bring me back and let me see his favor, and his dwelling place again. In other words, you understand what he says? God, my hands are off this. If God wants to, he will bring me back into the city and I'll be king again. Listen to verse 26. But if he says, I'm not pleased, God says, I'm not pleased with you, then I am ready. Let him do to me whatever seems good to him. Do you see what David finally does? He surrenders. Here it is. Surrender is the release point that will free you from the grip of control. Surrender is the release point that will free you from the grip of control. Here's what separated David from Absalom. Absalom continued in the strong grip of control. Ultimately, it's going to cost him his life just very quickly. He's going to die. And David's going to come back as king. Now, surrender, let me just say this, please. It's an important. Surrender is not a one-time deal. Surrender has to be something that we do on a daily basis because it is so easy to kind of lose our release point in a world that is so complex, in relationships that are so complex, in careers that are so complex, we're prone to lose our release point and have to be reminded of our release point, which is surrender. God, I'm not going to manipulate any longer. I'm going to trust you. As we come to the end of this series, let me just say it this way. Contentment, being at peace with where your feet are, that's what I want for you. Do you hear that more than anything else? I want you to be at peace with where your feet are right now. It's such a good place to be. Contentment is ultimately not about control, but contentment is always about surrender. And I'm going to ask you to do me a favor as we close this service out. I'm going to lead us in just a little time as we close this service. Just bow with me. Just, just, just close your eyes and bow and, and kind of drive out distractions for 30 seconds. Can you do it right now? Just closing your eyes. To resist the will of God and choose control, I believe, is arrogance. To abandon God is ultimately suicide. But to surrender is your release point. But it's so hard. And so right now in this moment, I'm going to ask you, I wonder if you would pray something like this. God, would you give me the courage right now to surrender my, you fill in the blank, to you. God, would you grant me the courage right now to surrender blank, 
For some of you, God, would you grant me the courage to surrender my spouse to you because I've been trying to control them for years. God, would you grant me the courage? Some of you need to pray this right now. Some of you need to pray this right at this very moment. God, would you grant me the courage to surrender my children to you because I've been trying to control them for years. And watch this. It works just the opposite of the passivity. When you are over-controlling on your children, then they will be passive. Trust them to the will and the ways and the power and the love of our God. Somebody needs to pray this. God, would you grant me the grace to surrender my image to you? Because I'm so concerned and I'm so locked up and always in what people think about me and the image that I project, but that's not who I am and I'm exhausted. God, would you grant me, God, would you grant me the courage to surrender my image to you? I just want to be a reflection of who you are. I'm done with the masks. Would somebody pray this? Would somebody pray this? God, would you grant me the courage today to surrender my career to you? God, would you grant me the courage to surrender my career because I've been using people? I've been criticizing leaders above me to make myself look good. I've been manipulating. I've been cutting corners, trying to get ahead. But I finally realized in doing that, I have shut myself off from your power And Father, as David sent the ark back to Jerusalem, God, I'm putting you back in your place. Your Lord, if you want me to get the promotion, you'll bring it. If not, you'll give me exactly what I need. I am done. Whatever you want for me in my professional life is what I want. Would you pray that? And then as we close this series out, listen, listen. Here's the hardest thing to surrender. And some of you right now, You are gripping right now your life so tightly trying to control things, control things, control things, but it is spinning out of control. And your white knuckling isn't working. And I wonder if there's anybody here today, would you listen, anybody here today who would pray this, Father, would grant me the grace today to surrender my life to you because I've been holding on too tightly Anybody here, Father, would you grant me the grace to surrender my life to you? Because your control over your life has been like you squeezing, gripping a sponge that is so dry, trying to get another ounce of water. And God is saying, would you just fall into my arms into an ocean of grace and mercy? Would you trust me? Would you trust me? Father, thank you for this moment in time. Father, we are like Absalom. We are so prone to control so many areas. And Father, thanks today that we got to see a devastating story, but embedded in that story some truths that were there for us to see so that we could find our release point. And understand that it is surrender to you that is the key to a life of contentment and freedom. Teach us that. Father, that we would turn away from unhealthy control and let you do what you want to do in our lives for your glory 
and our good. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for tuning in. If you enjoyed this message, we'd like to invite you to one of our Sunday morning services. We meet at 820, 940, and 11 a.m. If you would like more information or would like to watch or listen to more of our services, please visit us online at newvisionlive.com. This broadcast is brought to you by New Vision Baptist Church, where our mission is guiding people to lives of gospel transformation.